This is rather a large topic, don't you think? Large is an understatement. Well, especially if you add our ages together when we got sober, we were like 90 years old or something. Pretty close. 90 Eight, years. 89. I was 42. I was 47. 89 years old. That's a lot of years of living and a lot of years of drinking, actually, when you put it all together. So maybe this is more than one episode, but let's try the topic. Let's do it. I mean, we're here. Yeah. So the topic is getting sober in middle age. Which I still deny that I'm a middle-aged person. <laughs> yeah, you're middle-aged. I know. Just hate to break it to you, babe, but it's definitely true. It's you're, true. You're, you know what? The first time someone told me I was middle-aged, I was 40 years old, and I thought that I was going to just, it really, I, it floored me. It floored me. I, I, I was speechless. And then you do the math. And that's what she said to me. Do the math. <laughs> Damn it. Yup. Welcome to That Sober Couple Podcast. I'm Lisa Twombly. And I'm John Picard. We met in sobriety and moved in together a month before COVID hit. And now we both work from home. We've reached the compromise of doing this podcast in place of Lisa's daily TED Talks on the couch. I'm a bit of a maverick. And I'm a traditional 12-stepper. And, and together, together, we, we are, are That Sober Couple. couple. So getting sober in middle age. So it's interesting because those of us who've gotten sober and stayed sober or even just been sober for any period of time at all, you know, one of the things is, I think, depending on the age you are, when you get sober or what your circumstances are, sometimes it's maybe easier or harder to think about the future in the sense like, I've known a lot of people who are our age who got sober really young in their 20s and or even people who are currently in their 20s or around 30 who've been sober as long as I have now and it seems amazing to me the differences of sort of the thoughts around you know like for example the thing that's on my mind in particular is this idea of FOMO like I don't have any of that at all there is nothing that makes me think that a hangover at 53 or in my case currently 52 would be any better than a hangover at 47 and in fact i'm so convinced that i really don't even want to know there is no part of me that feels like i'm missing out by not drinking absolutely not and you know the whole fomo for those of you middle-aged people that don't know what FOMO means, it's fear of missing out. You never know. I'm just saying. We're not all, you know, hip to the new lingo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I got that on Instagram, John. Move on. Make your point. <laughs> so uh, the whole FOMO thing, uh, especially with, with, with drinking. So I missed out because of all the drinking. Mm. That, you know, it... it you know, from, you know, not remembering, uh, you know, a lot of the things that happened in my life because of, uh, of my, you know, excessive drinking. So that's one way. So I don't get to miss out today. Um, I get to, you know, be present 
I get to be there. I get to remember. And I don't miss out when I have to go to the bar to get another beer or to, you know, the, you know, especially at a concert or something, you know, I have to go wait in line. You know, I, I don't miss out those things. I can stay where I'm at because I don't have to go another place to get a beer. Um, that's awesome. That is, that is incredible. So, you know, I thought that I would have been missing out when I was still in active uh, addiction. And truly, I was missing out because I was so concerned with that next drink that I didn't care what else was going on. You know, mm -hmm. it was so, I was so absorbed in the moment to make sure that, uh, you know, wherever I was, that, you know, when I got down to that quarter of a beer, my next thought was, where's my next one? You know, it's, it's occurring to me right now that this is actually the FOMO episode needs to be an episode of its own. <laughs> and I think uh, talking about our, the original, what was our original uh, plan and P.S. We do not script these episodes at all. So I've said this before. If you are listening and have a preference that we do a better job of sticking to the topic, feel free to leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Just still leave the five stars, okay? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I'm thinking about the differences. I mean, the similarities and the differences, right? We both got sober at, um, after having been married for 20 years to somebody that we, you know, each to other people um, that we had kids and families and kind of did a sort of somewhat traditional lifestyle with. And then, you know, things kind of all came undone in middle age and um, including both of us getting to a place where drinking became uh, first an enormous problem and then uh, really something that we needed to address. And we both got sober in our 40s. And when I think about the differences both, you know, between our drinking and like how we drank and when we drank and where we drank and what it looked like when we drank, but also the similarities of once we got sober, we actually met each other really early on, super early in my sobriety. I know you don't remember that. I don't. Because you were still in an what I will call your Eeyore phase. I just <laughs> cried all the time. You just walked around with your head down looking like the world was ending. Well, the world was ending. So talk about that. Yeah, early sobriety for me, um, you know, it was, I look back and it was difficult. Uh, it, even though, and I, it was difficult because I was looking to the future. Uh, and that was, you know, that was part of it. I, I, you know, I was 42 years old. I had lived a fairly interesting life and a successful life. Uh, and I was now not successful. I was, um, you know, living at my brother's house. Uh, I couldn't be employed at the time, really. Um, and it was, it was, I was, I was trying to live the best life that I possibly could. And, uh, but I was depressed just, and you saw me, I didn't see you cause I didn't see other people. Uh, just, I just didn't, I, you know, I was so 
um, wrapped in my own uh, brain about what the fuck am I going to do? Um, that I just didn't have concerns for, you know, the the the, the population at large. Um, that was my early sobriety, and it was looking back on it, it was difficult, and it wasn't until that I came out of that funk um, that I, you know, got some help. I asked for help. It was, you know, that was a tough thing for me to do. I had lived 42 years of my life not asking for help. And it was me, me, me. Um, and I don't need anybody else's help. I just didn't. Uh, and, uh, and that was a tough thing to do to... To, to ask another person to say, I don't know what to do. I need some help. That was tough. That was really hard. Uh, but it uh, completely transformed and, and obviously has, has done something special because uh, I'm sitting here, you know, with a beautiful partner that we have an open, honest, loving relationship. And, uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's all really, it's all due to the fact that I asked somebody to help me uh, with how I was feeling at the time. Yeah. It's so good to hear that process and to talk about that process, because I know that for me, unlike you, for a long time before I stopped drinking, I had been thinking I need to stop drinking. And I know that that was different for you from what you've said to me, but for me, there was a period of, I couldn't say for certain how many years it was, but there was a long time when I felt like I knew on the inside that I couldn't go on this way, that drinking was really just getting in the way of me being who I wanted to be. And it was taking up a lot of my mental energy, a lot of my physical energy, a lot of my emotional energy. I spent a lot of time in my head feeling bad about it, um, feeling ashamed of myself and really confused about what to do next because part of what kept me from asking for help, which actually I did do. It's funny because we, you know, I look back and I think I didn't really want to ask for help but where i went was um to counseling and to clergy but the people i talked to i think honestly you know i looked pretty good on the outside and i was still doing day-to-day -day things and i was taking care of my kids and i think this is a big thing in the sense that like you too were still looking pretty good until that very last moment there pretty much you still had a normal looking life. I still had what most people who knew me saw as a fairly normal looking life. Um, and so that recognition on the inside that this is not going well and that alcohol is, is really truly not my friend and that I've got some work to do to take care of this. Um, so when I did get to that point, it had been on my mind for a very long time and especially that last probably year or two of my drinking it was pretty much a daily battle of me drawing lines in the sand and then 
crossing them or um, incidents or um, issues where I just felt exhausted from it all. And um, so for me, the second I did ask for help, it was like the floodgates were open. And I just, it was like a combination of relief and also just this pent up um, fear and anxiety. So I just, every time it was, I was in a safe space and particularly in a sobriety space, I just cried. I cried so much. I just needed to let all of that pent up fear and confusion and um, isolation. I had felt so lonely and worried and just completely confused. What was I going to do? So once I was on a pathway to getting some help and to being around people who were supportive, it was the floodgates were open immediately. And I just started bawling and then getting people's phone numbers and calling them up and bawling into the telephone as in crying. Um, and I feel like I didn't stop doing that for a long time. And the urge to drink uh, stayed with me for quite a long time. That first year, it was it was really challenging to me. And um, and when real life things happened, which of course they do, you know, it, it it wasn't always right in the moment that something happened. But, you know, later, I would notice that I would sort of have these delayed reactions and then really feel like I needed a drink. And the struggle to rewire my brain to have a different response to that reaction, and to really rely on the, the skills that I was building and the people who were there and willing and able, and who did support me, the women who were helpful to me. I, it's amazing to me that, uh, that I got through that fog and fear and overwhelm of the first year. Um, it was, it was really a challenge for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, challenge is, uh, is an understatement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the middle age getting sober and middle aged, it's my, my struggle was having to start over, you know, that's, that's where I was at. It was, you know, I can't go back to my old life. Um, and I've been living that life for a long time and I don't want to start over. Ugh, starting over at 42 years old, even though, you know, 42 is still young, uh, it's still starting over. And uh, I just, I didn't know what that looked like. Um, and luckily, uh, I, I was told enough times that, uh, you know, you don't control outcomes, <laughs> which, which, you know, still floors me to this day. Uh, but, you know, what I can do is what I can do today. And, and that change of, of, of a relationship with my future, uh, really like kind of set things like, Oh, I can, I can do whatever I want to do. And, you know, not being beholden to and tied to, uh, substances made that, uh, journey and the journey that I'm still on, um, you know, that much, 
more interesting because I literally can do, you know, whatever I want to do. Uh, there are no um, barriers. There are no boundaries. And if there are barriers and boundaries, I have some tools that I didn't have when I was still drinking. Um, you know, I have a lot more uh, tools to, to use. I have a lot more people that I can talk to and actually ask them, hey, how do I, what do I do? What's the process? Uh, people that I respect, people that I've come to know. And, uh, you know, that that is, it's absolutely amazing. So that, you know, starting over in middle age, so to speak, getting sober, because that's what we're doing. You know, we, when you get sober and middle-aged, you're starting your life over. Um, you might continue with the same job. You might continue uh, with the same family. Um, that's not my, <laughs> that's not my story. Uh, although, you know, um, my, my son and I still have a really good, awesome relationship and, and I'm grateful that we do, uh, but I don't have the same job. Um, and I'm grateful for that too, because the job that I have now, I absolutely love. Uh, you know, I get to work with other people that are in recovery and I get to learn all kinds of new things that I never, uh, you know, would have learned otherwise. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing when you, when I, um, you know, let just, just when I let it go, uh, to say, you know, I'm, I'm okay today. That's such an important thing for me to say to myself is that to be compassionate with myself and to say, yeah, I'm okay. And, and that was, that was impossible for me to say uh, in early sobriety because I wasn't okay. Uh, you know, I was in a hole, uh, and, you know, gratefully, uh, I dug out of that hole without having to drink again. Um, and, uh, yeah. So yeah, middle-aged starting over it's possible. Uh, and I'm definitely a, a representation of that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that too. I also, there's a little piece of me that feels like it's a little bit of an inside joke from the universe because, you know, it, and and we're of a generation where when we were young people it was still the times when people would sort of start on a life path as a young person and pretty much stay on that life path like the sort of cultural expectation was that you would get a job keep that job get married stay married have x many kids they'd all grow up to adulthood all of that um and there's a lot of things that have changed in our lifetime about expectations of you know culturally for all of those things and so maybe in some ways it's easier to do that in middle age now because people do things like get divorced and switch jobs and things like that but also i wonder um just if it's that chance uh for me in so many ways it has been a chance to ask myself who are you? Who did you want to be in the first place? You know, what happened to the little girl who loved to listen to Dolly Parton songs and ride my bike and um, make up all kinds of ridiculous stories. And um, there's just so many things that sort of got lost along the way of being a so-called grown-up um, that really 
you know, kind of like, it's like joy wasn't permissible. And so drinking was somehow a substitute for joy in some way, because it was an acceptable so-called fun as an adult. And I appreciate now that I'm really both more willing and more able to just allow the joyfulness, the silly creative thoughts, the things that come in like, I'll have a full-blown idea for a song or a movie or a story or something like that. And I don't envision or imagine myself as a writer, a screenwriter, a playwright, or a, and you know, artist of any kind, really. And yet, who says I can't do these things? You know, I can. You are so an artist. I, well, that's a beautiful thing to say. And and I believe we all are. It's sort of like saying. I'm not a walker, or I'm not a breather. It's like, you know what, if you're alive, you actually have every ability and reason, considering if you do have those abilities, obviously, like, there are so many things that we sort of write off. Um, and particularly, I was talking to someone today about this idea that, you know, we choose behaviors and habits based on identities, meaning who we believe we are, or if I'm this person, this person does X, Y, or Z, or doesn't do X, Y, or Z, and sort of associating yourself or identifying yourself as that person. And there's books and specialists and great podcasts about this topic. But the idea to me is, is that if I identify as a sober person, a sober person just doesn't drink. And that has come true for me. I just don't drink. And I just am able to live this life that includes all kinds of real magic, all kinds of real feelings, all kinds of real experiences that I get to be fully present for and appreciate and um it's really beautiful to me and i'm realizing we've been talking for the length of an episode and i think we could talk about this some more so maybe we'll have a fomo episode and maybe we'll have more of this getting sober in midlife conversation thank you for joining us today and listening to our experiences with getting sober in middle age we agree getting sober was the best decision we made it is never too late to get sober, start over, and make a life that you could never have dreamed. Join us next week when we talk about how we handle conflict in our relationship. I'm Lisa Twombly. And I'm John Picard. And together, we're, we're that, that sober, sober couple. couple. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Original Music Good Company was written and performed by Hallie Elwell and Dave Brophy. You can find Hallie and Dave's individual music projects on all streaming platforms. And you can find us on Instagram at That Sober Couple Podcast.